Greetings and welcome to Veritas. I'm Mel Hostelbrick. This week, I'm spending time with my family as we truly say farewell to 2020. I will end this year with a classic interview with someone I considered a friend, someone I admired quite a lot, and someone who left us too soon. I'm referring to Hilary Ramo. Hilary passed away unexpectedly on November 12, 2020. We actually did three interviews together, which you can find on our website. I chose the very first one for tonight's encore because we've been ringing the alarm about this techno-Marxist dictatorship approaching. And even back then, many criticized us for sounding too conspiratorial, saying this would never happen here. People are now paying attention. Say a prayer for Hillary and her family. Heaven has one more star. May she now find all the answers she was always seeking. And to you, dear and loyal listener, may 2021 bring you and your loved ones much health, peace, and prosperity. I will be back with you next week. Much love to you all, and Happy New Year. you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Are we living in a social dystopian future where our lives are molded into a digital connection, where everyone is constantly rating everyone else, and a person's average rating ends up dictating how they're in turn treated by the people around them? Are we becoming addicted to social media validation? Did you know only 4% of the information on the World Wide Web is available to a search engine? Where is the other 96%? Did you know artificial intelligence is learning to read your mind and display what it sees? A computer guesses what people are watching based on brain activity. Let's muse the possibilities when we combine intuition digital age technologies and human consciousness you are listening to veritas if this is your first time welcome home to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material join the veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com you can make your purchase with a credit card paypal cash check money order and even cryptocurrency we are now accepting bitcoin litecoin and ethereum don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. And to discuss all these topics and more, tonight's special guest is Hilary Ramo, an award-winning photographer, artist, and writer. Hilary has been a radio host in the truth-seeking genre of alternative media for 13 years. Her interviews have included the who's who of alternative history 
Her shows offered a public platform to whistleblowers who could discuss topics without censorship. Topics like GMOs, cannabis laws, the truths of 9-11, UFOs, and cosmic realities of life out there. One of the few female voices in alternative media early on, her ability to bring out the information in her guests was widely well-known and respected. She is the author of two books and has also contributed to and consulted on 16 books. Hillary is a regular writer for the popular online magazine Rebel Society and spends time creating inspiring and informative social media content. Her focus being on the realities of life in the digital age and how consciousness is key to more sustainable living. Hillary Ramo joins us directly from Albany, New York. Hello, Hillary, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Hi, Mel. Thanks so much for having me here. It's a pleasure. A pleasure is all mine. Are you in Albany? Did I, did I say that right? Yes, you did. Yes, I am. Excellent. Well, as I was telling you offline, sometimes I'm, I gravitate to interviewing other radio hosts because, you know, I, of course, I love all my guests, but, you know, they have a silo of information. They see a certain color and that's their focus. But when I talk to other hosts, I just love it because your perspective, your kaleidoscope is so much bigger. And, you know, you and I interacted a few weeks ago and we connected again. So I'm glad you're here today. For those people who may not know who you are, and I know they do, but those who might not, let's begin with your background. You have a similar background to mine in business. And I want to know what experiences you had that transitioned into who you are today. Well, that is a really big question, but it's a good one. <laughs> it's important, actually. Um, my background is in uh, real estate and insurance and the corporate world. And I've also gone into, you know, some spiritual pathways. I've, I've, um, I'm a Reiki practitioner. I've taught Reiki students for years and years. I had a very successful practice in the early 2000s. Lots of very successful students out in the world doing great things. Uh, that was part of my spiritual journey. And uh, it was a, an awakening of sorts that brought me out of the corporate mindset into asking better questions and looking into different areas of research and study. And uh, kind of as a hobby at first, I suppose, I was working with Lynn Andrews, who is a best-selling author. She's written about 19, 20 books at the time, and she recommended I go into David Icke's work. So opened the Pandora's box with David Icke's work. And I read through everything that he had put out at the time and, and had all these kinds of psyche openings and <laughs> aha moments and revelations, if you will, and realized that there was a lot going on in the world that really made a lot of sense after navigating through those different avenues, you know, the corporate world, the spiritual world. And David Icke was really a, a, a push out into that stuff out there. The conspiracy thing kind of came along with it as I started to do the radio show. I did the radio show. I started the radio show as a result of needing an outlet to discuss the information. And at the time, you know, alternative healing techniques like Reiki and, and energy and stuff were just kind of starting to be talked about on a mainstream level and people were really kind of, eh, what's that stuff? What is it? And so I was, oh, I'm always a little ahead of the game, I think. I'm always working on something or doing something where it's not quite, hasn't quite caught on, so it's relatively new. That seems to be my theme. And I used to think that was really annoying <laughs> until I realized 
that it's actually a gift, that you're actually led to things maybe prematurely where it's not quite accepted yet mainstream-wise. And, you know, you're the first one there and you're looking around and you're, you're, you're digesting information and you're getting a feel for different topics and different subjects and how they all intertwine together. And the 13 years that I was on the air was very... Uh, gosh, it was just an amazing experience because... I handpicked my guests. I didn't have anybody producing my shows for me. I sponsored myself. I paid for my own airtime. You know, this was all just really me doing it. I didn't have anybody helping me really or doing anything or booking my guests. No scripted shows, nothing like that. And I got to talk to a person each week for almost 13 years. And this was this was almost like a, a massive gift of being able to ask questions and go into different topics. And so it's kind of like an unusual education, if you will. So some of these topics were on the fringe. Some of them were considered conspiracy theories. Some some of them were whistleblowers. Some of them were healers. And some of them were, you know, from wide varieties of different backgrounds. And I accumulated this really intense body of knowledge inside myself and started to put things together and weave things together. And I started to write and put articles together. And I had a blog for about five years and I still blog now and then, but I was doing it pretty consistently. Then I write for Rebel Society. And so I kind of put it all together now in a, in a mixed match kind of way that helps to bring out a different perspective on information. You know, anybody with a microphone and a computer can do a radio show. But when I started, I was doing terrestrial radio around here in upstate New York. For about a year, I had a talk show and an AM station. And then I did FM for a little while. And then I got into online radio. And it just kind of blossomed from there. And it became uh, something that I just became known for. And I didn't stop for 13 years, and I just recently stopped broadcasting for a little while, but here I am talking to you. So radio always seems to find me. <laughs> That's why I'm not going to use the word past you know, past tense, because I did sense a few weeks ago that you said that you're more, more or less retiring from it. Is it just a sabbatical? <laughs> Is it just a temporary thing? Hopefully after today's <laughs> talk, you'll you'll reconsider. Well, you know, this, the, the thing is, is that I, I prefer doing, I did a political show during the campaign, uh, the presidential campaign here in the States. And I was asked to host it. It was put on by another production company. It was somebody else's thing. And they asked me to be the host. And I really enjoyed that because then I didn't have to do everything. I just had to show up and do the talk and hang up. And then I had a whole team of people who were putting together the podcast and producing it and, and organizing all of that and booking all the guests. Because as you know, if you're doing it yourself, it's a tremendous amount of work. <laughs> Tell me about it. That's why we, I only do it once a week. Yeah. So people think it's really easy to get online and do an on. Oh, you do an online radio. That must be so easy. No, there's a lot to it. And you develop relationships with publishers and, you know, publicists and people and authors and people that do all this kinds of stuff. So I've made a lot of really great friends in the industry. And I have to say most of the people I've worked with have been fantastic. And, um, you know, you have to, you have to be professional, but my business background helped to, polish that. And it, it, you know, I pulled on skills that I had had for years to do the radio show and it worked. It was successful at it. And I really enjoyed it. And, and, you know, I say I'm done, but you know, you never know if I went back into it, it I would really need to have the right platform. I find now, and I'm going to, I'm going to say this and probably upset some people, but I find now that most people in this 
alternative radio industry, because it is an industry, have kind of become more about scandal and more about, you know, finding the dirt on everything instead of really bringing good quality information to the surface. And it's it's a bit of a turnoff to me, and I don't really like to get involved in anybody's network. Or I've had some bad experiences, and I have some have had some great experiences, and the bad experiences we learn from. But, you know, there's just some really bad people out there that just do the wrong thing for all the wrong reasons, and I don't want anything to do with it. So it really would depend on the platform, and I would most likely have to do it all myself again, and that, that would have to be a big decision. I totally hear you. It's, it's almost as if I'm nodding my head thinking, you, you've been at this longer than I have, and I bet you that you have you know, stepped upon certain potholes, if you will, that I did also, it's almost like a, a rite of passage to a lot of us. We trust people. All of a sudden, you know what happens. Or you join a network because they call you and they say, hey, would you like to be part of this network? But then you realize that was not the right choice. Or then you get a, a lot of people requesting shows, as you said, looking for dirt or about spreading fear. But eventually you realize that's not what I want. What I want, in my case, I want the truth. And I know sometimes the truth hurts. But I really want something uplifting. I want to give hope at the end of every interview because I know that's the last thing that we want to lose, hope. Well, one of the, the intentions that I set when I started my show way back then was every show had to have some kind of uplifting, positive ending to it because unfortunately this material, like some of the things we'll talk about tonight, when you get into these heavier topics, it, you leave listeners feeling slimed. If yeah. you don't give them some hope at the end of the tunnel kind of thing and you t or, or you tie it back into, you know, the bigger picture type thing or where we can go. And then unfortunately, some of the stuff that we're getting into now is rather dark and is rather heavy. And if you look at the climate here in the States, especially right now, you have a fear-based social engineering experiment happening as far as I'm concerned. And you really just have this kind of thing where everybody's afraid, everybody seems suspicious, there's so much distrust, and it's breeding something really dysfunctional and ugly. And if you can't talk about that, you're really just kind of ignoring it and letting it grow over there in the corner by itself, and it's becoming the elephant in the room. And when you go into these topics, it's really important to be able to discuss them from a centered, balanced, grounded place. Otherwise, you get all over the place. And so, you know, one of the things I worked with with the show uh, was making sure my guests were on board with that, too. So nobody ever came onto the show with the intention of just sliming and getting off and leaving everybody hanging. They always knew that at the end we would talk about how to handle this, even from a consciousness perspective. And I'm really, really thankful for my my background in the healing world and the business world, because merging the two is very possible. And I think that's pretty much what we have to understand now as we move into kind of a new age, really. We're moving into a digital age. We've been here for a while, but what's happening is it's becoming extremely alarming, some of the things. And, and people are just not paying attention to the information because they're off arguing about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and you know, who's a racist and who's a bad person and who, you know, what can we do to find out all the, the scandal and dirt? 
they're not really talking about the realities of certain things that should be talked about. And I'm really glad that we're going to be doing that tonight. But uplifting at, at, even through the show was important for me because it's not like I just want to give people a bunch of depressing, hard truths and then say, okay, see you later. Because that really wasn't ever my intention getting into radio. I wanted people to get the information, but also be able to do something with it. It's kind of like going through David's work. I mean, when you go through David Icke's work, you're, you're really bombarded with a lot of negative stuff. But because my spiritual teacher at the time had told me to go read it, being the good little student apprentice that I was, off I went and read the work. And I would get through it knowing, gosh, why would, why would Lynn tell me to come out and read this? Okay, there must be a reason. So I got through it, and there was a reason. It was to understand the information, tie together a bunch of different topics. I didn't agree with everything he wrote, and that's okay. Because even in this show, if you're listening to the show, you may, you know, take what resonates with you and leave the rest. I have no attachment to, you know, investing your energy into everything that we talk about or everything. You might not agree with some things and that's okay. But anyway, that was part of, that was part of my original intention into getting into radio was to not only talk about the hard stuff, but to bridge some kind of, some kind of reality that would allow people to integrate the information into their into their daily lives without falling apart and having psych, you know psyche breakdowns. And as you said, it's we have to do this from a center perspective. And folks, also we don't want to be, we don't want to be Pollyanna. We don't want to be saying that everything is right, everything is wonderful and smells like roses because we know that's not true. Also, we don't want to be meditating our problems away. But we, what, what we want to do is just have you be in awareness. And once that's done, then give you solutions. That's the, the important part. A lot of people talk about the problems, but they don't tell you how to circumvent the problem, how to fix the problem or offer a solution. If that's the case, why even bother? It's a good question because why bother is right. Why bother talking about this? You know, years ago, you couldn't even really talk about conspiracy theories without getting looked at like you, you know, were one of those UFO nuts. You know, it's really very well coordinated to mock and make fun of and discredit people who do this. And I think ever since Donald Trump has been elected, he has helped to nurture that climate. And I'll get into that a little bit later, but I think what we're really seeing is an attack of sorts on alternative media. I think it's been infiltrated years ago, Mel. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, and and when people just start popping up, it's kind of like the lecture circuit. When you just start seeing the same people going to all the conferences all the time, you have to start wondering, where are the fresh voices? Where are the people that, you know, may not have nine bestsellers on the New York Times list, but actually have some legitimate, authentic information? How come these conference organizers aren't asking other people to come to them. I always see the same list of people on all these different speaking conferences, UFO Because they sell tickets. I don't mean to interrupt you, because they sell tickets, but nothing new comes out of it. No. But you have, you have hundreds of people who go to these conferences and they, you know, religiously go to these conferences to listen to all these people speak and all of them say the same thing and they all go through the material in the same way. They might present something new here and there. But at the end of the day, what they're really doing is selling books, and it's a business, and the conference organizers always, you know, not always are they on board with the, you know, truth 
seeking free information thing. They're, they're there to make money. Um, and I, I think that that's a problem. I think, I think this is slowly becoming an over, like a corporation. It's becoming like a business where, you know, you're kind of put in there as a speaker, you're put in there as a presenter, and you're kind of milked like a cow to get your ticket sales, to get everything going. How about we just go back to the drawing board and have, you know, legitimate people show up, whether you're famous or not, and let's hear what you have to say. I would love to do that. I just don't have the time or energy to organize. I used to do events and stuff like that, so I know what's involved with these kinds of things. It it is very stressful because you have to put money down on your venues. You have to, you know, you have to do a lot of things to get these off the ground. So I can understand asking the big names to come in, but when you only have that, you're kind of just saturating the whole market with information that's contained in a sense. There's a lot of new voices out there that have a lot of very interesting perspectives on different things that we need to start hearing. And I, and I, you know, if I were to do another show, I would probably request that people coming on as guests aren't known. And they have less of a platform than most of the others so that, you know, people have a chance to have their voices heard because we're really in potent, powerful times. And this is the time for people's aha moments and ideas to really come through and shine. And I think we might be missing out on some of that with the way we've turned into kind of like a alternative Hollywood. I do that all the time. And at the beginning, of course, in order to get the radio program up, I had no broadcasting experience. I had to bring some of those big players, if you will. But later I decided I need to give a platform to those people without a voice. They have a great message to impart upon humanity. Nobody's giving them a chance. Why not? Let's do it. So we created this offshoot called Vox Populi, Voice of the People, similar to what David Icke had done a few years ago. And now they come in and, and basically just tell a story. And uh, people love that, just to hear a new, fresh perspective. Oh, it's great. I mean, one of the things I started doing towards the end of my radio career was I started a radio mentoring program. And I spent my time and energy teaching other people who have never done radio before and, you know, were fresh voices, didn't have, a, didn't have big followings, no books. And I taught them how to do online radio. You know, they worked with me for three months. They produced a few shows. And now they're off on their own, doing their own thing. And it was really great to help that come to fruition because I felt that what I saw when I looked back in the industry was exactly what you just described. It was like, where's the voice of the people? Isn't that kind of a common theme in anything, politics, entertainment, you know, technology? It's like, what are people really thinking about some of these topics? You don't really know that unless you're asking them or you're allowing that in. So thank you for doing that because I think more people like you should be letting that in because we really need to start going. I think that the days of workshops and events and, and all that stuff is really transforming into something else. I'm not quite sure what, but it just seems like something has shifted where people are are craving real tangible type experiences, not so much, you know, groupies following around famous authors who just want to shine and be seen and, you know, buy their books. I, I think we're developing into something else, which is really nice to see, actually. I agree with you 100%. But you mentioned Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, Hillary. Did this happen to you? Let me, let me just ask you. Back in, gosh, summer, till the election, my goodness, I have never seen so much division on, let's pick up one social media platform, Facebook. People that never talked 
if you discuss something in a very neutral manner, I don't know what happened, but there, this division that still it continues even after the election now. I do not discuss politics. But, for example, I have a an artist that does a comic strip for our, our website every week. And sometimes he just he just <laughs> makes fun of Trump or Hillary, whatever. It's just entertainment. A few weeks ago, we did one, Trump, no problem. We did one last week with Hillary talking about, you know, the hurricane and come on, give me some money for my foundation and Bill supposedly in in Hugh Hefner's home, uh, making sure that the, the bunnies were taken care of. It was just a, an entertainment thing. Blasted. So many people got offended. Why do people get offended so much when it comes poli to political matters? Because they're trained to. They're trained to become offended. It's it's like a social engineering, and it's been very, very successful. During the campaign, I was writing a proposal for Cambridge. I had entered the Nine Dots Prize. And the question for the competition was, how does technology make modern-day politics impossible? So I spent about nine months writing the proposal for the competition, And in the meantime, I was doing, I was hosting a podcast called Rocking Politics, which you can find on my YouTube channel. And this was the show that was, you know, I just showed up and did the hosting and people got my guest. And of course, I had a yes or no say if I wanted to talk to somebody. And my, my only stipulation was that I got to ask whatever questions I wanted. And uh, so I was, I was really going deep and I was watching the campaign very closely. And what really got my attention was when Donald Trump went on Alex Jones's show. And, you know, Alex Jones has been doing this about the same amount of time I've been doing it. And when I, he first started out, you know, he, he kind of went the route of the conspiracy, rah, rah, anti-government thing. And when Donald Trump went on his show, I was really surprised. And I was really curious how that happened. And, you know, how does that booking process even go? And, and when he came on, I said, well, there's got to be a reason why Donald Trump is here. And sure enough, after watching what I did very, you know, what I watched very closely, being so involved in all of that, was that it was really clear Donald went on to speak, to speak to all the anti-government Uh, conspiracy audiences, which which ranges in the millions of people. So he got on there and he talked the talk. Boy, did he talk the talk on Alex's show. And he got that he connected. behind. Absolutely. Because Roger Stone, who was helping to coordinate his campaign, and I think he actually had, uh, he was the one who actually booked it with Alex Jones. I could be wrong, but that's an educated guess. Um, They, they knew what they were doing. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were getting on and speaking to an untapped audience for politics, for typical mainstream politics. It was a, it was ab absolutely brilliant business move, if you think about it. Everybody's talking about Russia. Everybody's talking about collusion. Everybody's talking about this. But what they're missing is the fact that Donald went right into the alternative media right early on in his campaign, and he started to speak all the right things. I, I listened to his speeches carefully. I went to one of his rallies here in Albany, New York, because I wanted to see and experience it for myself. And what I saw when I went into that rally was maybe, you know, 40 protesters kind of, you know, you know, marked off with a rope on the side. And then there were thousands of people walking in. Okay. Thousands of people, all different colors, all men, women, children, you name it, they were there. 
I went right up to the top of, you know, the top row of the arena so I could get a really clear look at the demographics of the audience and, and really hear what he was saying. And it was really interesting. I can't even really describe how fascinating it really was to listen to him in person, watch what was going on. Heckler comes in, you know, starts screaming things and, and shouting and causing a scene. But of course, it's right in front of the cameras where the little press section was. And sure enough, the next day, the headlines here in Albany was a big picture of all those thousands of people walking in with the headline was thousands show up and protest Trump. It was a lie. So I took my pictures and my video and I made a blog post out of it and I tagged some local journalists and local people around here. Boy, did I get a lot of hate mail. Boy, did I get a lot of comments on that. People didn't even want to look at my pictures and acknowledge the fact that, hey, I was here. This is exactly what happened. They didn't care. They just had in their mindset a preconceived notion of what Donald Trump is, and that's all it took. This is a very well-coordinated uh, smear campaign as far as I'm concerned on both sides. He's smearing Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton is smearing him. There's lots of money involved. There's things behind the scenes none of us will ever even know is going on. And there's so much speculation that it's almost depressing to try to even get into the topic and try to figure it out. Even, you know, if you don't have a unique perspective on this and you, you can stay neutral, like you said, you're going to take sides one way or the other. And all of your emotional stuff is going to be triggered because that's exactly what they targeted was the emotional, uh, the emotions of the people you know, by bringing race, by bringing the sexual harassment stuff, by bringing every single topic up that you could possibly bring up that would irritate and aggravate the average person. And of course, everybody who hasn't healed their stuff or hasn't worked on their stuff is all triggers. It all brings up everything. And they all think they know what, oh, you know, he's this, he's that, he's this, he's that. I had so many people commenting on my social media platform about what a narcissist he is, and he's got a, he's a psychopath, and he has a personality disorder. And I, all I would kind of say here and there was, you know, remind people you're really not qualified to make that as a diagnosis. I mean, I had, I had real big people, too. You know, people who've written books, people who are journalists, say, well, he's this, he's that. And I said, but you're not qualified to make that call. And to make a personality psychological, you know, diagnosis on somebody based on their personal, uh, or no, I'm sorry, their public persona is, is unethical. And, and not, you know, these people are not psychologists, they're not psychiatrists, they're not therapists, they're not even counselors. And if they were, they would know that it's not even legitimate to do that unless you've, you're sitting face to face with somebody in a therapeutic session, maybe even multiple times before you make a diagnosis like that. People have lost their minds. I mean, I've seen people go completely, you know, ape shit crazy over this stuff because they just cannot wrap their heads around the fact that, you know, this person's in office, but yet everybody wanted change. Everybody was saying we need change. You know, we're in the, we're in the new age. We're in the ascension period. It's the, the new light is here. You know, the new age community is going crazy over all of this 2012 stuff, bringing all this new energy in, we're all talking about love and we're all one and twin flames and all this stuff. 
But then as soon as something triggers them in the political world, I mean, I have seen some of the ugliest words come out of people's mouths that claim to be these love and lighters. And it's really just astounding and eye-opening. I'm just nutting my head here because if you saw the private messages I received from the quote-unquote most enlightened those people who are always talking about love and light, I didn't know their vernacular went so low, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And some some of the guests I've had on the show, millions of people know them. A lot of them unfriended me because at one point I made a post about Trump and boom, unfriended, unfriended, unfriended by some of these guests who don't want to talk to me anymore. And I'm thinking, and you are so tolerant that you don't just... You don't want to listen to somebody else's opinion and you judge me just because of that. I was very, very disappointed in some people. I had the same experience. I know I, I kept my, it's funny. I kept my numbers at a certain number so I could tell when it went up and down. <laughs> exactly. There's <laughs> a program that notice, tells you. Uh, well, yeah. And I would notice when people would, you know, I'd get a lot of unfriending going on kind of thing. You know, social media is very critical. And if you, you post something, now we've become so, We've become so over-identified with our virtual personalities that they're, they're kind of like real people. I, I've, I've just been watching the uh, the uh, Netflix series Black Mirror. Oh, I love it. Did you oh, see that I, one I, about the uh, I, uh, the score? Probably, because I've been watched the whole, all three seasons. And on one weekend, I sat down and watched the whole thing because I knew you and I were getting ready to talk. And I wanted to talk about this stuff. Because, uh, you know, I, I work as I have worked as a healer. I'm a very intuitive person. Uh, you know, I, I, I work in the psychic realms. I do all of that. And I don't do the guru thing at all. I don't have students. I don't, I'm not selling you books. You know, I've written two books, but they were way back in the early 2000s. And, and I'm going to be honest, it was just to kind of prove to myself I could do it. And um, I don't sell, you know, it's, it's just one of these things where you just kind of notice after years and years of interacting with people, the, the social shift in, in all of that. And you have a really interesting thing that's happened. You have these spiritual people, like you said, the love and lighters, the guru wannabes, all the people that really believe that they're so much better than everybody else. But yet when you put them in a political conversation, you see very, very quickly how unbalanced they really are. And that's really what it is. And it's easier to unfriend you or to block you or to just run away and stick their head in the sand than it is to really sit down and have an open-minded, intelligent conversation about what's going on. As soon as somebody starts to talk or name call or, you know, call Trump names or Hillary Clinton, or, I stop the conversation. I refuse to go any further because you've already lost it. You've lost the opportunity of higher intelligent conversation. And I, I think that's by design. I really think that's so by design that, that these topics have become so difficult for people to talk to that they don't talk about it. So therefore, if they're not talking about it, then they're just, they're distracted and they're focusing on something else. And the spiritual people, you know, I'm sorry, but it just clearly shows how much work they still have to do on themselves in order to be able to be functioning human beings. Because if you want to react to Mel because he's posting about something political and he's a radio host and he's been doing it for a very, very long time, 
I don't know, that, that's your problem. That's, that's their problem, right? I mean, that's really something that, that tells you something more about them is brewing under the surface that they clearly are unable to come to the table and talk. You and I can talk about this stuff and nobody's going to get mad unless they're listening. I mean, I'm not going to get angry and, and hate on people because what is the point of that? That's, you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to see what's really going on and what's really going on is torrential is so big and so important. Everybody is missing it because they've been distracted with dysfunctional drama. We have, we have a really big problem going on, Mel, with this digital age stuff, okay? And, the, and, and those people listening, you can, you can take what I say and, and whatever resonates great and leave the rest, but I'm going to encourage you to go do your own research on the stuff that we're going to talk about. Because I'm not going to have time to give you all my sources or tell you, you know, how I know things. You're just going to have to listen and go on and find it for yourself. Uh, the digital technologies that we're watching come into play right now in the United States especially and Europe now that the whole terrorism thing has moved to Europe is just mind-blowing. Everybody thinks the AI stuff is so interesting and so, wow, ooh, ah, it's like fireworks going off. What they don't realize, and after watching Black Mirror, Mel, I have to tell you that a lot of that stuff in that show, it's kind of like truth hidden in plain sight. No, hold on. Let me just mention that because I'm, I'm loving it that you're mentioning that show. I hardly watch TV, but sometimes you get a diamond in the rough in certain shows. And this, if folks, if you haven't watched this show, Black Mirror, there's one episode, episode number eight, I believe, season one, I think. The title is Nosedive. Check it out. It's set in a world where everyone is constantly rating everyone else on a five-point rating scale. And a person's average rating ends up dictating how they're in turn treated by the people around them. So it's a classic uh, social satire incorporating our addiction to social media validation. It's in, in some ways a, too simplistic, but as nearly feature-length film, it's totally engaging. And when you see it, you know exactly where we're heading. This artificial intelligence, or as I, somebody who I just interacted with today calls it artificial stupidity, we're delegating our brains into something that's telling us how to behave. Well, the nosedive episode, I know exactly which one, because as you were talking about it, brought it back. It was about this woman's journey through self-validation, basically, exactly. right? where she was, you know, she's a suburban mom, and she's going through life, and she's very social, and she's fitting right in, and everybody's got a phone, and, you know, you give each other five stars with every single interaction is rated, so if you talk to somebody at the grocery store, you're checking out and buying your food, you rate the interaction. And if anybody gets less than like a four-star interaction, your rating goes down and they connect it to the ability to be able to, let's say, buy a house. Do you remember where she was sitting there with the realtor and she wanted to buy this really nice apartment sure. and it needed to be a 4.8, right? Or else she needed special financing. I mean, seriously, it's like a credit score, but it's different. I think that's where we're going. I, I read over the summer the book, The Circle, and it became a, it was a movie with um, Tom Hanks. And the woman that played, she was Harry Potter. She was uh, Hermione. I forget her real name. She was the main character, and she was working for a company like Google, like Facebook, like, you know, whatever that is that was called The Circle. 
And it became her whole life. It just consumed her. They put out these video cameras that you work and they called it uh, full transparency, and everybody could watch you. We're becoming a niche. We're becoming a culture of voyeurs. We're becoming a, a so ingrained into the digital identity. I can totally see where this would go. You know, if your public persona is deemed negative in any way, what kind of reaction does it have by employers? What kind of reaction does it have by your family and friends circle? What kind of reaction does it have to your listeners of a radio show? I mean, it's, it's very obvious that people are so quick to judge based on a post. I mean, I have people who think they know what's going on in my life just based on my public Facebook profile. And I'll get messages sometimes with these crazy things. And I'm like, where do these people get these ideas that they even know what they're talking about when it comes to me. Well, because they've become so ingrained in looking at social media and figuring that they can, you know, silently and secretly look at somebody else and figure out what they are all about simply by the content that they produce. But that said, most people don't use social media to pump out content necessarily, unless you're a content producer, right? Most people are, I had coffee for breakfast and they're snapping pictures of their kids and their, you know, silly things throughout the days and whatever they think is important, right? That's what the majority of people use social media for. There's few select exceptions where content producers will put out different kinds of material, of course. However, most people are not doing that. So that's not the norm. And the norm is really everybody just thinks that they can turn on, plug in, and figure it all out. We're losing touch with the real world. It's kind of like what happened when they pulled people away from nature so they could exploit nature. Okay, this was a very, very strategic thing over time where, you know, we're indoctrinated with the thought that nature really doesn't matter and we can just do whatever we want to it and it's just going to be fine. As long as we can produce our things and our toys and our materialistic lifestyles, who cares if we lose all the forests or contaminate the oceans? That's just part of capitalistic consumerism, which is predatory. And when you look at the corporations that really run the world, I did a show with John Perkins once. I'm not sure if you've ever spoken to him. And if you oh, haven't, have. you really should. Yes, of yeah, course. Yeah, he's fantastic. And when I remember when I talked to him, I was just absolutely fascinated by the fact that he was an insider in the corporate world admitting to the fact that, you know, economic hitmans are real and they go into these countries like – Let's talk about Cuba. Let's talk about, I'm sorry, Puerto Rico and the hurricane that's happened there, right? Now we have all this infrastructure that's been damaged. And we have a $300 million contact or contract that just fell through from a Montana company. You know, and they were on the TV last night talking about why their contract, well, they didn't really talk about why their contract fell through, but they were supposed to be talking about that. Whitefish. And Right. Yes. And so it reminded me of John Perkins and our show that we did years and years and years ago about how these these exploitations happen when these kind of, you know, low income countries come into either natural disaster or they just happen to have a lot of resources sitting on their land and we want to go in there and take that. We want the minerals. We want the wood. We want the water. So we'll go in there and offer them the shiny ball. Hey, you can be just like us. 
You can have malls and Dunkin' Donuts and you can have infrastructure. Oh, but that's going to be a multi-billion dollar loan to our World Bank company and you're not going to be able to pay that back. So then we're going to build military bases there and we're going to go ahead and do this and this and you're going to become part of our empire. It's really what's going on. And when you look at the United States and the, the corporatocracy that it really is, as John explains it in his book, you, you really figure out really quickly what these real wars are about. You know, we've been, in, we've been at war as a country, you know, since 9-11. 9-11 changed everything. 9-11 changed the laws. 9-11 changed people's mentality. We have become a bunch of suspicious, fear-mongering people. And I think that's one of the most dangerous things you can have on this planet. You have Syria, you have Iraq, you have Iran, you have... These people don't like us because we're bullies. We go into these countries and we make all these deals and we have all the power and we do the World Bank stuff. And interestingly enough, you know, I've been watching the digital currency world for a few years now. And, you know, North Korea has developed, interestingly enough... Potcoin, which is one of the most secure cryptocurrencies for the legalized marijuana business, and China's on board with it. And that's one of the reasons why China is kind of not really going to go after Korea. And Korea is suddenly the big bad guy because they have the ability to be completely independent. And they're also working on massive transitions to solar power, getting off of oil. This really goes back to oil. Oil really is the, the evil thing on this planet right now, the way that we run it. And it's petrochemicals that really people have to realize it's not just about oil that you put in your cars. It's about the oil that's in your medications. Plastics. I'm sorry? Oh, plastics, petrochemicals. I mean, Plastic. the pesticides. Yeah. And you have petrochemicals in household products, cosmetics, medications, prescriptions. I mean, people don't realize how ingrained petrochemicals really are. And oil is all about that. Oil is all about not just getting your car from point A to point B, things that women put on their face, kids that play with their toys, common, common things that we are so attached to that we just, we don't associate it with the oil companies. We don't associate it with environmental destruction. You know, the United States is really lucky in the sense that we don't see as much environmental damage as third world countries see. Because what these big corporations do is they, well, okay, we have, you know, you know, we'll leave the United States alone. Maybe we'll drill in the Gulf Coast. Maybe we'll do this. Maybe we'll build a pipeline. But they go into third world countries and they don't have any environmental standards to build by. In fact, the protocols and, you know, the regulations don't even exist. They go in and do whatever they want and they leave huge messes. And so what we don't see on TV, what we don't see on social media, what nobody wants to talk about really is the, the devastation that takes place from our corporations that, you know, are Americanized going into all of these other countries, ripping out things from the earth, taking things, exploiting people, communities, governments, causing all these problems. And, you know, everybody wants to talk about what's going on with Russia and Syria and all this stuff. But what about Africa? Africa has been murdering everybody in that country for how long now? And now they're starting to talk about building this world police group. The EU is talking about building this world police uh, thing that they want to raise like 400 million, uh, maybe even billion dollars 
to fund. I think it's million. And the United States is one of their main people, main, you know, entities to fund that. Where do we get this money from? Where do we get this money from? Where, where What is funding all of this devastation and harm. I mean, that's really what we have to start talking about. And it's not that it's not love and light to talk about these things. Sometimes you have to shine light on things in order to bring them to, you know, fruition of people's consciousness, bring them to the forward of their minds so that they can see and take a look at this and say, how am I participating in this? Well, conscious consumerism has been for a long time one of the most effective ways of changing things. I'll give you a perfect example. Non-GMOs versus GMOs. GMOs are banned in over 64 countries, but absolutely fine in the United States. In fact, Obama put into law some of the most restrictive protections against, against the people for the corporations to not label the GMOs. So we're having, we're consuming food that's banned in over 64 countries. Now we're starting to see rising levels of autism, rising levels of of gender mutations, things that really start to show up in your population that are worrisome. And they're scrambling to just make make a cover-up. It's a plain cover-up of, you know, the responsibility, because it all comes down to liability, and that's what I—that's what I take from my insurance background. This is all liability. This is all about who's responsible for the damages done on things like this. Well, guess what? It's not Trump, guys. It's Obama. It's Bush. It's all the P- Clinton. Clinton was a huge advocate for GMO foods in this country, and she was all ready to come in if she won the pregnant uh, <laughs> the presidency. And she was all ready to come in and just, you know, give that industry everything they wanted. And I really think that the big battle is has has a lot to do with that. It has a lot to do with money and people who just are greedy right to the core and aren't happy with a few million dollars. They need more and more and more and more. And that's really the virus in the human condition that's causing all these problems. And let's talk about that. I think right? a lot of a lot of these problems, Hillary, Federal Reserve, just to pick on a, a, a let's just pick on one, Bank of London, whatever. When you think about how they print money out of thin air and they can put two countries at war or three or four and they finance both sides. You know, we've been at war in this country, in our entire history, 96 percent of our life as a country, 96% of the time. Why? Because wars are very profitable. You mentioned Puerto Rico, 300 million contract, no bidding contract, not open to competitive bidding, given to a company that had two employees at the time of this hurricane hitting. Somebody from CBS went to their headquarters. It's just a cabin in the middle of wilderness in upstate Montana. $300 million. Where did that come from? Well, perhaps somebody went to somebody in Puerto Rico and said, we'll give you the money but you just have to give it to this company. What a great way to lunder some money. Now, you're mentioning all of this stuff about GMOs. Take, for example, direct-to-consumer drugs. There are only two countries in the world that allow it, New Zealand and the United States. Why are we so disconnected from what other countries are doing? Money. I mean, really what it comes down to is money. Why did this company get a $300 million contract? You know, interestingly enough, in the contract, they put a small clause that talked about how FEMA had approved 
this contract. And, and they it didn't. Turns out this, was, this was a scandal of sorts, right? They didn't, and they were called out on it in an interview last night. And the guy just sat there and didn't say anything. Like He just had nothing to say. He was just put on the spot and didn't have anything to say. So the, the interviewer moved on and talked about something else. But here's the reality of what the United States is. They go into these countries, and, let, and the Middle East is a perfect example of this. And they create all this conflict and, and the war. And then guess who gets all the rebuilding? building contracts. Callie Burden and, so, and all you know, those. And then you end up having, you know, $10,000 toilets put into your buildings that aren't even properly installed. Yeah. You know, your sheetrock costs you X amount of dollars. I really just think this is such, this is the biggest scam in human history. And I, and I, it just, it's like they're trying to just clean out the Middle East to make new, you know, new space for you know, Dubai and, you know, all these ultra modern, rich oil countries, Israel, to just come in and take over the land and create one giant country that's aligned with the World Bank, that's, you know, totally on board with the United States. How many people listening know why terrorists hate us? I really wonder, I really wonder how many people listening really understand why these people hate America. Has anybody got a, a proper answer to that question? Because you certainly don't hear it in the the information coming out of mainstream media. You, you hear lots of controversial conspiracy theories coming out of alternative media. You know, you hear a lot of things online. I mean, we're, we're just so overwhelmed with information. It's like your brain just goes to a point where it's like, stop. I don't want to talk. I can't take any more in. I have to think about this. And then most people just stop looking at it because it's so overwhelming. But these, this is by design. The overwhelm is by design. The overwhelm is, you know, they control the Internet. When, when you talk about the surface web, you're only getting 4% of information. And, and you can Google that. The dark web has the rest. And the dark web is, you know, the layers. And the upper layers are you have your crazy dark places, your pornography, your things that make everybody go in there. Even if you attempt to look, you get so disgusted by the material there, you think that's all that's there. However, it's not. You have these these huge black market uh, things going on in there that have been operating for many, many years, and they've been using cryptocurrency to sell things. What the, you know, the Silk Road is a perfect example. It's a case where there was an economy, a drug economy put together, and it was using a cryptocurrency to buy, and it was consumer direct. So they were putting people together with, you know, buyers with growers and so on and so forth. They actually did a study, and for the period of time that Silk Road was running, drug crime actually decreased. I wanted to ask you, the dark web has reduced crime because of this? Yes, because it was taking out the mafia murder, the thing, the, all the stuff that happens, it's the corner drug dealer, the people that, you know, the, the, the crime, where the crime really exists. So it's kind of like saying, well, you don't need your drug dealer anymore. You can just go online and order it, and you're ordering it from a legit grower or a legit place in a safe environment in an anonymous currency, right? So it was actually a very productive drug market. And somehow the authorities got into the server. Now, I can tell you right now, if, if anybody out there can figure out how the government got into the Silk Road server, then you have a very good insight into the world of hacking. 
because all of this stuff brings you to the world of hacking. Hackers are going to be the biggest problem to a digital age that we've ever seen on a scale that we've ever seen. Okay. So the government breaks into the Silk Road market, breaks it up, steals all the digital currency out of the wallets, puts one of the guys in jail, blames it all on him. You know, the press goes out, everything's falling back on him. And, you know, he's the big scapegoat, right? And it's not even really clear that he was the actual one to run the whole thing either because it was done so anonymously with screen names and so on and so forth. So then they take all the money that they took out of the Silk Road bust and suddenly five, six, seven independent drug markets start popping up in the dark web. So, you know, I've never believed that the government isn't corrupt. I've always believed that the government makes money off the drug markets. We've seen that in the opioid epidemic that we have going on now, which is a, a big, big red flag, but also an awesome example of how this works because they, they allow this to happen because somebody somewhere is making millions and millions of dollars. All right. Think about how much Bitcoin was traded and sold in the Silk Road market, then stolen and then recreated in five or six new dark markets. And Bitcoin is now close to, I think, 4,500 per Bitcoin. It 6, started out at point. Is it up to 6,000? No, I haven't checked actually. And I've, I've checked in the last month. So what does that tell you? It started out as 0.08 cents per Bitcoin. It's, it's amazing when you really look at what's happening. 6,113.51, precisely as of today. Okay. I, I literally three weeks ago, maybe a month, it was $4,500. So it's insane. How many people left? I remember I did an interview with Cliff High. You probably know who he is from the WebBot Project, right? Well, we got laughed by people saying, why did you have to spend so much time on Bitcoin? This is years ago. And people said, this is not going anywhere. And at the time, he gave me my first Bitcoin because he wanted me to really get into it. You know, and it was, I think it was something like $700, the Bitcoin. Now it's 6000 Yeah. And you know why? It's because it's a limited it's a limited cryptocurrency. There's only 21 million bitcoins to be mined. Right. And now we have these massive bitcoin um, farms, mining farms, popping up all over the place. I just watched a fascinating YouTube video on secret bitcoin farms in China. And they did a they did a kind of an expose, and the guy led you through the warehouse and showed you what's involved. And they maybe make like maybe now they they mine maybe three or four bitcoins a day. And there's all this security involved because this is all a really big thing, guys. I mean, I I talk about this on social media, and my and the responses usually are, and even by some radio hosts themselves. Oh, Bitcoin's just a cash grab. It's, you know, it's just, it's dependent on money and, you know, you're still dependent on the system. Hello, big picture, guys, big picture. Every transition has phases. And what we're watching is a very interesting phase where blockchain technology is being experimented with and improved. And it's being improved to the point where it's not hackable, but I, I'm of the belief that everything is hackable. You get one genius 
who's a hackable person, they're either going to be working for a government someplace or there's some secret guy running around hiding from everybody because they know how to get into everything. And then you look at, well, this kind of makes sense, right? Because digital currency is the only thing that can still function during climate refugee change. Let me say that again, climate refugee. This is what we're looking at, folks. Whatever you think about climate change, whatever you think about anything, doesn't even matter. What's going? We've already started to see climate refugees happen. Uh, we've seen it in the United States. We've seen it with the hurricane stuff. We've seen it in other countries. We've seen it everywhere where you know all of this stuff is changing and people are having to relocate. And when they relocate, their banks are closed. The ATM machines are underwater. You know their cash is soaked in the mattress. Right? Their credit cards don't work. So this is this is a problem. But if we have a digital currency, and all you have to do is find some kind of login space, whether you fly to another state because your state's flooded, you know, you get there, you log into the computer, your money's safe, you can pay your bills, everything is still there. It makes perfect sense in the big picture. The transition period, you know, yeah, this is a cash grab. People are making a lot of money on cryptocurrency investments. Um, you know, you can buy into the blockchains and you can, you can buy a mining contract for two, three, four years. And you can just get paid every day because you own a contract and you're just getting paid in Bitcoin every single day. You're making Bitcoin money every day. And the more that goes up in price the more it's worth. And then you have better cryptocurrencies coming onto the market. You have things like Monero. You have Zcash. You have Bitcoin doing another split in November. I think it, I think it happens November 16th, where it's forking again. It forked recently. But it's forking again because the blockchain technology has been improved. Security has been improved. I mean, what we're really dealing with, I believe, on a global scale, are countries who are trying to be the best digital... Uh, entity possible. We have the best security. You can't hack us. We have the best cryptocurrency blockchain technology. It all leads into AI. It all leads into, you know, the black mirror syndrome, I call it, because these are all technologies that people are going, are being bred to accept. You're being indoctrinated to accept digital life. How many people's jobs are now associated with a computer? How many time, How many people are so dependent on their social life being connected to a computer that they get depressed if they're not on there or they have issues? You know, you have kids growing up in this world. You know, remember days when we were in high school, how tough, it, you know, it might've been really tough when you were in high school years ago, right? Now it's even worse because you have social media platforms, you have bullying, you have... Uh, you just have so many more dynamics and so much, you know, suicide rate in, in younger kids are, is rising higher and higher. Obesity is rising higher and higher. These are all consequences and effects of our lifestyle as a modern day digital age you know, I feel, I feel for this new generation. I have a 10-year-old daughter and I just can't envision in the next few years when she's allowed to go to social media. She's not yet. But during our time, I think I'm much older than you, I think. But during our time, you left high school and bullying stayed behind if you had that experience. Now bullying follows people 24 Seven and they hide behind, you know, behind an alias. But we're talking about all this, you know, 
cryptocurrencies. I'm thinking of when gold became a threat to the Federal Reserve note, you know, in the 1930s, I think it was, during Roosevelt, it confiscated in the 1930s. Then Saddam Hussein wanted to transact oil in euro. What happened to him? He's gone. Muammar Gaddafi wanted to create a gold dinar. He's gone. I find this cryptocurrency being allowed, I wonder this suspicious, and I say this because we're recording this at the end of 2017, folks, and in the next few days, we're going to have, you probably know this, Hillary, but there's going to be a drill, a nationwide drill, while the Antifa protests are taking place to emulate an EMP attack on the United States. My question is this, and I'll get your answer on the other side because we have to break what happens if we truly have an EMP attack and a lot of people have put their money into cryptocurrency? How do they take it? How do they transact without a computer? But tell us, how can people get in touch with your work, learn more about your services, your podcast, all the years of, of you having done it? How can people learn? Well, the only thing I have now really is my website. And that's on purpose. So you can go to my website, HillaryRamo.com. And, you know, you can find me on Facebook and, and things of that sort. But I have a YouTube channel where my archives are. So my, my website is the best place to find it all. And uh, so, yeah, if you, if you want to know more, you can go there and find everything. This is a great conversation with Hillary Ramo. And when we come back, folks, we're just scratching the surface, the tip of the iceberg. Much more when we return. This is Mel Hustlerick, and you are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas, because you don't want to believe, you want to know.